We're back on Date with the Night, and you just heard Get Naughty, the latest single from a rising star all the way from the UK, who will be releasing their debut album, How to Make a Masterpiece, on March 1st. I'm so stoked to introduce to you Masterpiece. How are you today? I'm really good, really good. Thank you for having me, guys. I've been a fan. Oh, we're huge fans of you. I've met you every time I visited London. I've been there three times this year. It's my first time ever visiting the city. I bumped into you at one of my events and you showed me your music and I was hooked and I had to look you up when I got home and I'm really excited to get into it today with you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And yeah, it just means a lot for you guys to kind of like recognize what we're doing over here. So yeah, no, I'm generally like grateful and happy that I'm on this podcast today. This is my first podcast being recorded in the morning because of the time difference. So it's a different vibe and I kind of like it. I've been drinking coffee and listening to your music and it's got me like hyped for our episode. It's like the best way to wake up. You're actually like a very energetic performer. I feel like you like rarely get tired and don't need coffee to wake up in the morning. Definitely not. I'm very like energetic because I have ADHD. So I'm a bit like always on the go, always ready to kind of like make things start happening and popping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You have this amazing stage presence, like your performances with any crowd. You just really interact with the audience in a way that I haven't really seen too much in the past year. So I was really excited when I got to do a gig with you at Motel Rocks and see you perform. It was really, really cool. Yeah, no, 100%. The Motel Rocks gig was actually super fun and you guys absolutely smashed it. I saw people dancing on stage as well, which was quite oh, sick yeah. too. Because, you know, in those type of fashion parties, you don't know if people are going to gonna, like actually get into it and have a bit of fun. But yeah, people are actually on it and like just getting crazy. So yeah, had the best time and it was just great seeing you guys again, to be fair. I honestly like got a little bit white girl wasted at the end, but it worked out. <laughs> Everyone was on stage <laughs> dancing. So that's what all you can ask for as a DJ or anyone trying to host anything ever. So I'm so impressed with you as like a young artist, your ambition and drive. And I kind of want to start with your origin story when it comes to how you discovered your passion for music. So what were your musical influences growing up? So my musical influences definitely came from like TV shows, video games as well, especially FIFA growing up. I think FIFA was like a big thing for like teenagers slash like early adolescent kids in Britain, essentially. And then like a TV shows like Waterloo Road or like Skins um, or like Misfits really had like a lot of like the music I kind of liked. But then like, it's so weird because my parents, so like my mum, would play like gospel music, but then also play like pop music as well, like in the house. And then like my dad, when he was there, like it was very kind of like R&B, hip hop, that kind of vibe. And then my mum's brother we used to play like a lot of hip hop, but then he'd play like a lot of dance music as well. So there was like different kinds of vibes kind of like floating around. And I grew up in a bit of an area where it was mixed. It was like posh, but there was like hood bits of it as well. Half of my friends would listen to like hood, like UK rap kind of music. And then the other half of my friends were like British, indie, that type of bag. So like I was always dibbling, dabbling, like from arts from like Phil Collins or like Jules Santana or like Block Party. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was always a mix of different things. So I feel like my music, it was always just like on high alert because I always liked mixing sounds, especially also MIA grew up in the area I come from. She lived in Phipps Bridge. That's in like Merton. She went to Ricard's Lodge. So I went to a school called Wimbledon College and that's near Ricard's Lodge. So again, like MIA was like the kind of like one person that was like people also knew about. And I remember when Paper Planes came out and that was like such a moment. So yeah, um, definitely tapped into a lot of that type of music growing up. How did you first get involved in making music? So I used to be in an alternative grime group. 
we were doing a lot of stuff like we had done Reading and Leeds, we had done Boiler Room, like we were building a cult fan base underground. And in London, like a lot of people knew of us, but I always knew in my heart that like, I wasn't trying to do that forever. Like I knew the type of music I was into and I knew like where I wanted to be as an artist, but like, I think there was just so many things that were kind of like stopping that from happening. I think in my head, I was just like, no, I need to leave this group and find my feet as Masterpiece on my own. So I just decided to leave to start the Masterpiece project. And I knew all my influences and I knew where, how I could start it. But like, I didn't really know where to put my foot until like my first release, which was Nighttime in 2019. And I think that's when like things started to kind of like move for me as like a solo artist. And it's quite weird leaving a group to now be a solo artist is like see if it works out on your own. So yeah, it was definitely scary, but I definitely don't regret it. And I'm happy that I did that because now I'm like seeing the benefits of it. Yeah, I'm really happy with your trajectory too. The solo work you're doing is really, really cool. And I'm sure like being part of that group also really helped inform like your stage presence and the kind of persona you have on stage. When I first heard your music outside of the garage in London, I went home and looked into your backstory and was reading about how you had all these influences that were pointing to this like indie sleaze era before it even had an official moniker. What did you think when you saw that this was like having a bit of a resurgence? And what is it about the 2000s that appeals to you? I think for me, like knowing that it was coming back kind of excited me. I remember being in a session and someone was saying, oh, like, you sound like Block Party. And I, and I remember being like, yeah, like, I love Block Party. And like, they had this song called Ratchet yes, that I, I remember that hearing on FIFA 2013. Yeah, I remember hearing it and being like, oh my God, this record is like crazy. But I didn't understand why I loved it so much. But I always knew that if I was going to make music, it was going to be very British. It was going to be very like in your face, very indie. And I think like that 2000s era, like, I feel like now there isn't really scenes for that type of thing. But at that time, it just felt like there was a scene from like LCD Sound System to like Justice to like The Rapture. I even watched that Meet Me in the Bathroom movie. It just reminded me of all the bands that I was kind of like looking to for inspiration when I was trying to make the music I was making. But I just didn't know what it was called at the time. But I always knew that's the music I want to make. Also like Calvin Harris's I Created Disco album. Again, that just changed my mind frame of how like I take music. Because at the time, I remember the reviews were so bad for that record, but it's like people didn't realize how ahead of his time he was. Like he was just so ahead. That's the same with MIA too. Like all of her music. Yeah, of course. Kind of lambasted by critics. Yeah, the critics like absolutely went off. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in North America right now trying to have a very London feel to their music Mm. because there was this very like heavy British aesthetic in that era. And London was like the mecca of like indie rock music and the style and everything and the club nights that were happening in London as well. For my listeners, if you were in high school at any point in the 2000s, someone invariably went to London at some point and came back from their vacation with a fake British accent because like that's how obsessed people were with London and the UK and England. The fact that you're putting in the hours as a musician, playing sweaty Shoreditch basement shows, you're bringing the scene and the spark that I think is really important right now. There's so much great art there and so many great artists like yourself. And so I really want to see more people looking to the UK and looking to them for inspiration when it comes to music. And I think it's really cool what you're doing. Yeah, there's a lot of us that kind of like do it, but I feel like kind of like when I said to you at the garage, like, it hasn't been made a thing. So I feel like people are not aware of it. But Mm -hmm. I felt like what I was trying to do was trying to make people aware of it over here. 
That's why I like with Lou's song and I Might Be Fake, why I really try to tap into that as much as possible because it's like, I'll never forget when I heard the Dare Girls and thinking, oh my God, this is like my music. Yeah. And like nobody knows what that is over here. Like nobody has a name for it. Like people just think it's like dance music, but people don't realize like the LCD sound systems and all of those type of people like kind of started that sound. And then, yeah, we've just kind of like evolving it over here. And I wanted to just push that as much as possible. Yeah, well, it was like a very global movement. Like there was a lot of great music from Brazil and Australia. It was just all over the world, really. Like I get all these stories of like club nights from Berlin to like places in even Guatemala and Mexico. So Mm. I want people to have like focus on community and creating like scenes within their cities, especially when it's like so important, I think more now than ever. And I got to give kudos to you too, because your production style is this like perfect representation of what I imagine modern indie sleeves would be like this very tight indie pop rock energy. The vibe comes so effortlessly to you. It doesn't sound like you're tapping into an aesthetic. It sounds like mass masterpiece is the aesthetic that's what we were going for so it means a lot like you saying that genuinely especially for my debut album like that's what I wanted to go for and kind of want people to take in when they listen to it that it's like first nature I know what I'm doing when it comes to these type of sounds and like I know how I want the public to kind of like receive it you know yeah can you kind of describe your mode going into the making of this album so originally like I had my EP peace of mind yeah and that was a straight indie like straight guitar arctic monkeys very like block party-ish guitar heavy yeah it was very guitar heavy and i always knew to myself that like if i'm gonna make a record like if i'm gonna make an album i don't want it to be so obvious that i'm gonna do that again and i felt like with uk like a lot of albums have come out recently where i've just felt like oh like it's playing it safe and i feel like people don't realize that like indie sleaze and indie music in general, it's like different elements of it, like the dance element of it, the rap element of it. Like there's yeah. so many bits of like subgenres essentially. And I was like, if I was gonna make this debut album, like I wanted it to have subgenres of indie music to then kind of cut through and cut home that it's like there's no label to it. It's just indie music is what indie music is. And also all the songs are fresh songs. Like there was no old demos. Like we literally made the first bit of the album in two weeks. Cause I was just like, I want to make it fresh minded. Yeah. I already kind of had the ideas I wanted to make. I was listening to a lot of like LaRue, LCD, a lot of Justice, like Friendly Fires as well. Like I was listening to a lot of Friendly Fires. Cause I was like, I know how I want this to sound, but everything needs to be fresh and current. It can't feel like I made this two, three years ago. It's like, it needs to feel in this moment now. That was what I got into. I kind of knew he was going to shoot the cover. You and Spencer that shot all the skin stuff, shot the stuff with the streets, like shot a lot of stuff that is like in that indie sleaze era. And I was like, I need it to tap in in every aspect from the songs to the visuals, you know, where people can then be like, okay, cool. He's actually committing to this and like owning it with like full chest. So Might Be Fake was actually the first song I made of the album. And when I made that song, I was like, yep, I know how I'm going to like make it a masterpiece instead of like making it just straight guitar riffs and like I wanted to give it a bit more energy and a bit more life. It's really an outstanding track and the tempo and energy kind of reminds me a bit of like a block party track, but it's also got this like energetic popular vibe that's reminiscent of like a Mastercraft track with the mix of the distorted bass and the energetic punchy drums. Like it's 
this modern take that I just really appreciate. And I really am so impressed with this song. Like I listen to it all the time. It's like my hype song. I oh, appreciate it. No, thank you so much. And like, the music video is so good. I have to <laughs> say, like, I love the ending where it comes full circle with the men bursting yeah. through the doors, like the dogs on the track. Like, and you're a really good actor, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I did acting in school and that was something I kind of wanted to do after I left school. So like you saying that means a lot. Like I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're funny and charismatic, but you have the subtlety at the very beginning of the music video that I picked up on right away. And I was like, oh, he's like a really good actor too. Yeah, that's something I definitely want to tap into in the future. So yeah, no, it feels good to hear that. And you're also wearing this amazing jacket in the music video that I kind of want. Yeah, the track jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I'm like, I need this jacket yeah. in my life. You have incredible style. It's actually something I want to ask you about. Like, how do you come up with your looks? Because you always are wearing like a really great outfit whenever I see you. I think for me, like, especially for this album, I wanted a track jacket to be like the main staple. I wanted to see my fans in track jackets. And I feel like back in the day, like, I didn't really have a lot of money to have like the best clothes. And I didn't come from like a very wealthy family. So like, same, yeah. Track jackets were like a thing for me that it was just like affordable. And I just wore them. Like, I'll go out with my mates, I'll be wearing an Adidas track jacket. That was just like the thing. And now that life has got better, I still wear it because I want to be me. And like, that's something that I've always liked to wear. So like for this album, I want to push that across. Like, I don't want it to look like I'm trying to flex on people. I want people to relate to this album. Like I would have needed to relate to Silent Alarm when I was younger, because that was a very relatable album of like, just what's really happening in real life as a teenager and then as an adolescent, especially even with things like Misfits and Skins. They yeah. weren't like dressing the flashiest. They were just very kind of like down to earth. You could get your clothes from wherever it was, but it was just real life. And I wanted to bring that real life and that relatability to this album campaign, essentially. I wanted to talk a bit about the song, I Might Be Fake. Like, how did the song come about? What was the process of creating the song? And what was it like working with Georgia? I think for me, you know, like artists, they have imposter syndrome. It's like they wake up and they're like, oh yeah, like I want to be this person. Yeah. I want to be that person. Or I'm going to start drinking or start taking drugs or like, start smoking and stuff when it might not be them or like they didn't come from that background so it's like why are they doing that and I yeah. think for me I did fall into that like I felt like I was doing what everybody wanted me to do instead of what I actually wanted to do and me realizing especially in that peace of mind era that like me being me was actually the thing that people bought into me for in the first place not me trying to be like everybody else that was like wearing leather or like trying to be like flexy or wearing chains and all of that shit and I was like I wanted to write a song about that. It's just like, you're kind of like lying about who you really are just to impress people when really and truly like people like you for you. And then I sat down with that song for ages. So originally, the original version of I Might Be Fake has me on the vocals on the hook. I was just like, it needs a female voice. Like, you know, those old Basement Jack songs. Yes. I was sitting there and I was like, there needs to be a female. And, and like, people were fighting me on it. They were like, oh no, I think you sound really good on it. And I was like, no, but I know what I mean. We need like some female energy on this song, but I just don't know who. Part of me was like LaRue, but I was like, maybe someone like that is kind of new. Let's see, like in that pocket. So I was speaking to my label and they're like, yeah, like, okay, this person, that person. And then one day I was just scrolling through socials as you do. And then I've seen Georgia and I was like, oh my God. I think I sent it to my manager at the time. I was just like, yeah, like, I think Georgia, and he was like, yeah, that's actually a good shout. My other manager that he works with was like, yeah, I know her personally, like, let me reach out kind of thing. And then her team was like, yeah, we're on it. And I think when I heard her vocals on it, when my um, producer 
like mixed her vocals in, I was like, yeah, it's how I imagined it. Like she was meant to be on this song, 100%. It just worked so well. I just felt like she needed to be on that hook and it just served the purpose that it needed to serve. And like girls can sing it. It's like for the girls and the guys, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's a great chemistry on that song. And I'm so glad you got Georgia to sing on that song. Though I think LaRue would be totally open to doing a song with you, of course. Yeah, no, 100%. It's a great song, just like the Lou song. There's something about that song. The bass line, first of all, I want to learn it on bass. It's just so good. And I kind of wanted you to walk me through this song as well. Like, how did the process of creating this song come about? Because there's all these unique little nods that I just really am impressed by. And the music video, again, a really great music video where you are totally just blowing my mind with your performances in general. So how did it come about? New song, Calvin Harris, right? So you see, mm-hmm. back in the day, right, when Calvin Harris made, I get all the girls, I like all the girls. Like, at the time, I was a bit like, this is quite insane, like, that he's saying this on a yeah. tune. But the more I've grown up, I was like, yeah, this is like a banger. And then, like, Gorilla's there. You got to press it on you. Like, yeah. For some reason, right, I was like, I need a song like that on my album. So I was in America. I was in Nashville when we made that record. And at first, I wasn't keen on Lou's song. I wasn't keen on it because I was like, mm, I don't know. And then my producer... He came and sang the high bit, the she don't care. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because it sounds like Calvin Harris, I got all the girls. Because it's like, he can't really sing. But because he can't sing, it makes it more funnier. Yeah. It makes it a bit more like silly and a bit like jokey. And I was like, oh my God, like this is bang on, on the money. And then it's so mad is because the gorillas put it on their playlist that they have on Spotify. Like they have this playlist that they do like a monthly playlist of like, artists that they're into yeah i saw that yeah and i was just like what the hell like imagine that that was the inspiration and then they end up putting it on their thing and that's so mad to me because it's like another nod to be like i knew i was doing the right thing when i made that record like i just believe that the right people if they understand what i was going for it's gonna hit well and the record hit well um the way i needed it to hit so it's like a lot of those moments have been happening to me recently it's like I'd make a record and then the people that inspired the record will reach out and be like, oh, I love that song. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is literally why I made it. So it's like, it means a lot. So that's how the song kind of came about. Yeah, it's really funny too. Like there's this humor in your lyrics that reminds me of The Streets a bit, which who you've worked with, Mike Skinner of The Streets. Yes, I have. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Like, What's it like working with Mike when he's such a fixture in this era that you have such a connection with? That guy's a god. He seems like a really funny person too. Literally, like he's honestly, uh, him and Damon Albon from Gorillaz are like my inspiration. Like those are the two people that I've always looked up to. I've always been like, if I was to like make music and like blow up in music, I would love to get a tune with both of them. And like, for me, it's like, I'm halfway there because it's like, I've already got someone with Mike Skinner and like, that song will stand the test of time. Like if I have a child, yeah. that my child would literally go to school and be like, yeah, your dad has a song with the streets. Like for me, it's like, I still can't believe I have a song with the street. Do you know what I mean? Like, hasn't yeah. really, like, sunk in. And then same with Gorillaz, like, Damon Albon, like, that's someone I look up to, like, because he can do the rap slash indie slash dance thing with Gorillaz, but then do the indie thing with Blur. Yeah. And for me, that's how I see my style and how I am as a person. Like, I want to push boundaries. Like, I want to try stuff people ain't doing and then see if it bangs off. It's because UK right now, like, there's good music, but, like, nobody's pushing boundaries like America, like... That's why I was so just a bit taken back when I heard that their song, because I was just like, nobody's really pushing it. Like the way I know that if people actually like took time with the music and actually like 
gave a shit about music, we'd be really going far, I think. So for me, like this whole debut album and what I'm trying to bring here is like, it's so important to me that it's like pushing the boundary. And I think like someone like Mike Skinner in the streets, like they've always pushed boundaries from their debut album up until now. Like they don't do what everybody thinks they're going to do. They all do the opposite. And I think for you to stand the test of time, you kind of got to do that. Yeah. There's also like, you've started this club night, which I was part of. I DJed at after the All Points East. Like, it was so cool. Literally, I still can't believe that was crazy. It was such a good night. Like, it's the perfect venue to like, that is my venue. Like, I told you this when I showed yeah. up because I didn't know what to expect in this like, kind of grungy DIY, like the red walls and like just everything about it was my type of club setting. So like, what was your intention starting this club night? And tell me about the process of getting that started. I just kind of wanted to start a scene. And I felt like for me, there was a real hunger for it. People would always say to me, like, oh, you should start a club night. You should start a club night. And at the time I wasn't really like sure because I was like, how do you run a club night? But it was like, there's a community of us that love that indie sleaze, that early 2000s type music. But I didn't know who that was. So I was like, it's like a shot in the dark. Let me captivate this. Let me own this and push this thing forward and see what happens. And each one we've done has just been crazy. Like people come, they tell me that they loved it. And like the vibe is just like very up there. And I think like for me, if I can create a scene, like how there's a rap scene in the UK and like people go to all these rap shows and these rap club nights, we can easily make an indie club night in London. I just feel like someone needs to just grab it by the balls and just do it. And I feel like for me, I was like, if anyone's going to do it, I want to do it. And especially to help my album as well, because it's like, at least people can see why I made this type of album and the type of music I like and like all the references I've kind of touched on will all kind of come together and it will all kind of make sense once that's portrayed. Do you know what I mean? So the club night is very important to me. It's as important as like the masterpiece thing, essentially. People are dancing on tables too. So I think you've accomplished it. I think you're already doing exactly what you've set out to do, which is really cool to see. I actually want to talk about like what it's like being an artist in London because like I told you this the last time I saw you for Motel Rocks. There's all these like really cool studio rental spaces, pirate. Yeah. There's like one in every like borough it seems and you can book last minute. It's reasonably priced and like I just feel like we don't really have that accessibility in Toronto right now, which is really unfortunate because in the Indie Sleaze era, there was a really big indie music community and you could live here for cheap you could make music for cheap like peaches lived with feist on queen street and like they were able to like work their day job but then also come home and like make music and not feel the pressures of like how expensive everything is in the city of toronto but now it's like we don't have that ability to just like last minute book cdjs to go practice on i'm sure there's hurdles as well for any artist living in in a city big city anywhere it's expensive of course but it just seems like it fosters new talent in this way that i feel we're lacking here how do you feel about like being an artist in london like what do you love about it i feel like london's full of hidden gems like there's a lot of artists that if you're really looking for them you'll find them like that are just like take you by surprise London's really good when it comes to homegrown talent. There's a new band that I like called Bar Italia. Yes. And they're from London and I'm like loving everything they put out. Like they just dropped an album and I've just been banging it on repeat. Like those type of bands that are just like not many people know about, you know? Yeah. I'm seeing them in December, December 8th here in Toronto. So I'm really excited. They're just so sick. So I think for me, it's just like finding those kind of hidden gems and kind of like repping it 
and telling people about them. So it's just about getting the noise and getting your face about in London, which is quite easy to do if you find a community of people that are intrigued and stuff. London might be my new favorite city. Everyone I meet there is like really funny and really nice and like really welcoming. And I just like want to go back again. I've been like three times and I bet it's such a big city too. So there's always so much more you could explore each time you visit. So I kind of wanted to move on to like your lyrics because they're really funny. You have this sense of humor that I really, really love. What kind of inspires you to make these like really cheeky liners in your music? Where I grew up, there was like a lot of slang going on. So like people would talk like they're from the hood. Do you get what I mean? It was very like yeah. silly British slang, like saying loo song. Like a lot of people don't know what the loo is, but the loo's the toilet. Yeah. People are just like, what the hell is a loo? And I'm just like, oh, like it's a toilet. Like it's just about getting high and like getting with people like in the toilet really. Yeah. But it's just like the way I've said it, you're like, oh my God, I want to know what a loo is and I want to go to the loo. But it's just like, what is the loo? Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so like someone that done it really well as well was MIA. The stuff that she used to just say, a lot of people didn't know what it meant, but it's just the slang, it's where you're from. I wanted to just show my authentic Britishness. Like I didn't want to sound American. I wanted people to be like, oh, he's British. Lou song is the British meet me in the bathroom. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to go for. Like same with like the Mike Skinner album, uh, original pirate material to like block party, silent alarm. Like I want my album to stand the test of time when it comes to like British music and sound as British as possible. That's fucking awesome. And I think you've already accomplished that with just the first two singles already. I'm like so excited for the full album. Thank you. If you could be on a lineup with any two artists in the future, like who would they be and why? One. Lightspeed champion, but Blood Orange. Hell yeah. Dev Hines, all week, all day. That would absolutely blow my mind. And then another person, I'd probably say MIA, you know. Like, she changed my way I see music. Because there's no rules. I feel like in music, like, it seems like there were just so many rules. Like, people are like, oh, you can't say this, you can't do this. Like, an indie song needs to sound like that and this. But it's like... She's like in her own right, the indie queen. Like she has her own way of kind of like making indie music. And I was like, for me, she's someone that I look up to a lot. So I would say her and Dev Hines in terms of like pushing boundaries are the two people that if I was in the same lineup as I'd be over the moon. That's so true of just what Dev Hines has accomplished from like testicles to uh, Lightspeed Champion to Blood yeah. Orange. It's like there's nothing stopping him from experimenting. And 100%. with MIA as well, it was like, she was so ahead of her time. So ahead. And that's why critics didn't get it. And it's like now, how many artists of today are just like trying to make music in her style? So it, I think you're really accomplishing similar to what they're doing. And I think you're just a star that everyone needs to have on their radar because you're going to blow up and then it's going to be too late to just get a piece of the masterpiece. So <laughs> <laughs> literally, no, you got to exactly. get in now. You got to get in there at exactly. the beginning. Exactly, they're going to from now. We got to see you sort of great heights. I also wanted to like ask you, if you could have a song of yours used in one film, who would that film be directed by and why? Oh, this is a tough one. I'll probably say, um, probably Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino um, film. Because I feel like there's just a lot that goes on. And I feel like yeah. my music definitely taps into that. So yeah, 100%, probably Tarantino movie. He's got to have a fight scene and I Might Be Fake has to be the song. Song playing in the background. But then also I've got a song on my album called Los Narcos that when it drops, you'll hear. I feel like Tarantino would absolutely need that song in his movie, 100%. We're manifesting this. Manifest it, let's go. Tarantino, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Reach bro. out to Masterpiece. We got to get a song of his 
on one of your movies. Yes, you heard please. it here. It's going to happen. We're going to do it. Okay, dream stage to play. Like, what is your like end goal? Headline impairment stage in Glastonbury. Yes. After that, I will stay out of music. I'd be fine. I'll be easy. That for me is like the final boss. So Pyramid Stage headlining it, 50 minute set by Masterpiece. Let's go. You got to come to North America too. You got to do like Coachella. Yeah. You got to do like all the festivals here. I need to, man. I need we to. We need Masterpiece sure. here. 100%. If you could like sum up Masterpiece in a couple of words to someone who might not know anything about you yet, how would you sum you up? I would say genre defying, energy, unpredictable. Definitely. Yeah, I'd probably say that, especially with this album. When people hear it, they'll be like, whoa, how did we get here to here to here to here? So yeah, expect the unexpected, I think, with me. It's been so great talking to you. I have like one question left, which is what are you most excited about when releasing this album? Like, what do you hope people take from your upcoming debut album? I think I want people to kind of take that. It's going to stand the test of time. I can feel it. And also, like, because I'm going on my headline tour, I've got so many ideas I want to do for this live circuit for people to actually see it live with their own eyes. So it's like, for me, it's so important that people see this tour live so then they understand me as a person because I feel like that's where I shine the best when it comes to actually watching it live with the HD glasses on. It's been so great talking to you. I can't wait till I'm in London again and so we can meet up. You've been there every time I come to London, you're there. It's 100%. Like- <laughs> Just hit me up. Whenever you're here, we will do something. We'll do another night or whatever you want to do. Like I'm on it. Yeah, I was so tired after All Points East. I hadn't slept the night before, but when I showed up, from your energy, I just felt so like awakened and then I had such a great time DJing and thank you for having me and thank you for reaching out. I'm glad that you DJed. Thank you. Yeah, I hope to see you in London or maybe you'll come here for a North American tour and I can catch you in concert. Yeah, no, 100%. We will make something happen. I definitely know we will. So thank you for having me on your podcast because again, I've been a fan. So yeah, it means a lot. Well, it's our pleasure and our honor to interview a rising star in the making. So you already are a star. I've said that before. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Listeners, make sure to follow Masterpiece on Instagram at Masterpiece London, but that's London without the vowels. Very indie sleeves, very Mastercraft. So that's Masterpiece and then LDN on Instagram. And keep an eye out for his debut album, How to Make a Masterpiece, releasing on March 1st. Thanks again and see you later. See you later. See you later.